Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand. I'm your host, Brian Bikey. Joining me, we have the guys behind the pursuit. Ryan and Kenny, how's it going, you all? We're trying to get in front of the pursuit. We always seem like we're behind it. We need to get in front of it. <laughs> we're always behind on something. It's just, it's, 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 I guess that's just the nature of this business. You're always waiting we could have behind called, something. We could have called the pursuit. We could have called it something else. Ahead it's of too the late pursuit. now. Yeah. yeah, ahead of the pursuit. One one ahead step above the pursuit. One step ahead of it. Never would have happened, though. Yeah. We'll always be one step behind. But we're here. And yeah. happy to be here. Absolutely. Let's talk about bourbon. We were texting uh, this morning. You were you were saying something about uh, Kenny. You were saying to Ryan, we need to get some some boots on the ground. Uh, and and just then, just now before we started recording, we were talking about Texas. You were showing us this photo uh, of a Specs, right, that has Pursuit United Bourbon and Pursuit United Rye on the shelves. When we hear so many folks in Texas say, I can't find it. And we've got this place. It's both, right? Yeah. And I just got a message. It's in Colony, Texas. I don't know where, where Colony is before, but or sorry to all of our listeners in Colony, Texas. Maybe it's just like right outside. I haven't I haven't Google mapped it yet. I should probably do that before I put my foot in my mouth. But yeah, it's one of those things that you know, I think at some point, as we had mentioned at some point in the show, we we have this this great audience of bourbon consumers and bourbon enthusiasts and diehards, and we love that they have been supporters of our product and been consumers of it as well. But at some point, we've got to break beyond that. We've got to get into that normal everyday consumer and how people started to understand what smoke wagon is or how people started to understand why they're chasing after, uh, you name it. Blue Run, Foregate, whatever. It's like, we've got to be able to figure out how do we get to that kind of top of mind of a consumer. And I think at some point, yeah, we got to have some boots on the ground. We're going to have to have some people out there and, uh, you know, whether it's uh, me or Ryan have to get on a plane and go to Colony, Texas and hand sell these for for an evening, or maybe it's we, when we have a great network of people that love to be a part and help the podcast out. And I think it's an easy way to also bring some people on board, pay them a little bit for going and slanging some whiskey. I think it's a good way to kind of create a cool network of ambassadors that we could have around the country. But heck, that's uh, another day, another time, and definitely a future pursuit that we'll have to find that one out. That's right. Colony, Texas, if this is correct, is a northern suburb of Dallas, but it it looks like it's about 30 miles north of Dallas. Okay. So north east of Fort Worth, I believe. I lived in Dallas for a little bit of time. Yeah, you got to get out there, man. Yeah, I've been to, I used to go to Dallas all the time for work. So I used to go down there all the time. That was my brisket fix for a while until I got to go to Austin. Then I got some really good brisket down there. Sorry to all the Dallas people that make good brisket too, but I, uh, I've had some really good brisket in Austin too. God, what's that place in Dallas? It's not the Pine, it's Pecan Lodge. Pecan Lodge, that's pretty good Pecan stuff. Pecan Lodge. Yeah, yeah. That's a Where's good place. the Pecan but, Lodge? Or Pecan, whatever. No, I'm just kidding with <laughs> you. Howdy, pecan. Does that sound Texas? Yeah, I'm happy to go to Dallas. I love that place. I started working at this game company, board game company, and and we were in Ohio. Moved out, you know, in Cincinnati. I had moved from Cincinnati up to Toledo area. We moved from there to Dallas, and the guy that we moved to be close to, you know, he was all like, "You know, you got to get kolaches. We got kolaches everywhere. Kolaches are the thing." Like, what's a kolache? You know, the savory form kind of looks like a pig in a blanket. It's like this. This pastry dough, 
you know, surrounding like a hot dog, but they also make sweet filled ones too. And instead of, you know, instead of donut shops, it's like you'd have kolache stands all over the place so you could get your coffee and get a, get a kolache and, you know, some, some late night spots. But I mean, can you just imagine maybe our Texas fans can chime in a bourbon and kolache event? I mean, come on. There's, there's gotta be a market for that, right? Maybe. Why not? I mean, Sounds, I, eat I hot love dogs. puff pastries. <laughs> you love hot pockets too. Yeah, I love lava. <laughs> we'll eat whatever, guys. Today's episode, I want to get into. I want to talk about finishing. I think maybe we'll hit a little bit on the general topic of finished bourbons, but then I want to kind of turn a little bit. I want to talk about pursuit. I want to talk about. Cecil Coleman, I want to talk about what you all have been up to. And we talked about this a little bit. You know, uh, Ryan kind of alluded to to the story of where this first came up a couple of episodes ago. I'll drop that in the show notes. But let's dive into finished whiskey. Let's dive into, you know, what might be next for us here at Pursuit. Yeah, I'll I'll kind of kick that off. And it's not to say that we originally had a goal of doing a finished product that all. And that's because doing a finished product requires some level of experimentation and level of risk that we didn't know we are kind of ready to go and do because to do a wine cask finish, to do even a toasted barrel finish, what's that require? Literally buying another barrel, finishing it, babysitting it for X amount of time, and then you get to go and you get to release it. If bourbon was our full-time gig, yeah, we'd love to be able to sit there and babysit something and make sure it's ready to go. We could do that for smaller releases, but we needed something that was a little bit easier uh, on a scale point, as well as from a model that we didn't have to drive to Bardstown or drive somewhere because we don't own a warehouse yet either to go and taste something every single day. And so that's where we kind of ran into, uh, I don't know, it was a pretty fortuitous thing that Ryan just had to be at Bardstown one day and I'll let him kind of tell that story because he was the one that was there. And so he's the one that kind of helped us lead us down this path to where we now have a a new product coming out. Yeah, sure. And, you know, just to touch on finishing a little bit, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that's like, you know, I'm kind of torn about it because at, you know, sometimes I think finishing is to kind of like hide some flaws or kind of like make younger whiskey taste older. Do But sometimes it really elevates the existing whiskey in the bottle or in the barrel. And so it's like, how do you find that balance of, you know, is do you want the wood to be the show, the star? Or do you want the distillate and the wood? And so it's like, how do you complement each other? And I, I never really could wrap my head around that, you know, just being the amateur blender I am and working with different distillates and I have a huge appreciation for some of the fine folks that have done wood finishing and been kind of pioneers, you know, like Michter's and old Forrester and those and Trey with Jefferson's that they've done fantastic jobs at finding that right balance of finishing, you know, with the distillate and the, the wood. But yeah, we got hooked up with this great company called interstave and we kind of briefly talked about it on a, previous episode as brian mentioned but they're a company that's been in the wine industry they're trying to get into the spirit space and they have a lot of wood alternatives wood oak alternatives oak influences that you can work with and like i said in the previous episode they kind of gave us a bunch of samples of products and i kind of just messed around with some younger distillate and i was blown away 
by the results. And so I was like, well, what do we do with this now? <laughs> and the challenging part for us being a startup and having a limited inventory is that we don't have a lot of room for error. And so it's like, okay, we have these, we, we have these wood finishes that we'd love to work with, but how can we use what we have in inventory to really, you know, and not take away from the existing brand because we need to support that as well. We had these few products we liked. We looked at our inventory and, you know, luckily, I don't know, three or four years ago from our previous broker, we kind of acquired some MGP barrels, you know, and, you know, I know this is totally foot and mouth and we've, you know, talked how easy, it, <laughs> how easy it would be to start a brand on MGP and do this and that and how we tried not to get away with it. But it is fantastic whiskey and we bought them because we're like, we'll do something with them some one day. The price and was right. Yeah, the price was right. And the original intent for those barrels was actually let's hang on to them till they're like 12, you know, 10 or 12 years, you know, and have a nice little run of OKIs or Boone's, Boone County or whatever, you know, the the great run that Old Scout and all those brands had with those MGPs. We were kind of trying to recreate that. But when I tasted this wood, you know, these wood finishes, I was like, man, we really got to do something. We don't have enough product with existing United inventory. So we had plenty of our Tennessee component and we had plenty of, well, not plenty. We had an extra, little extra of Tennessee, a little extra of New York, but we had zero of our Bardstown bourbon company component. And so I was looking at these MGP barrels and I'm like, Kenny, we, I, I hate to do break our original plan, but we, we got to do something with this because I, I think we can really create a nice little product with this. And uh, so that was kind of the genesis of all this. And so we've been, the problem is, and I'm blabbing on here, but the problem with that MGP mash bill is, you know, it's like a 36% rye and it is spicy. You know, it's very bold. It's very spicy. It's hard to tame down. And so if you had to say how spicy that meatball would be, how spicy <laughs> is it? It's a, you know, if you're going like Thai food and you're asking for a sauce level, it's about an eight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we don't have that level here, sir. Yeah. Or whatever. Five, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So I went on this path of like, okay, I have the Tennessee and New York component and I'm throwing in this MGP component. It was just so much spice. And I'm like, all right, but well, what wood can we use to kind of tame this down? What proof can we use this and that it's, and so that's kind of uh, what we've been working on up to this point. What I found was that it needs a lot to tame it down, you know, some strong Oak, uh, different Oak characteristics to tame it down because it was just overpowering the other distillates in the the blend. And just given the math of what barrels we had to work with, it still was like a leading component in the, the blend because just because of our inventory. I think it's one good thing to understand is that when we come out, and I guess we should probably, let's go ahead and say what we created here. So it took a while to come up with a name, but we're coming out with a, a new product called Pursuit United Oak Collection. And it's going to be uh, in a different colored label with your same kind of bourbon orange foil that you're going to see, but it's going to be a, a nice stark blue contrast that you're going to see. So it's we're excited to be able to talk about that and, and release that product. But the Oak Collection was essentially something that we wanted to do 
where we could start looking at this craze of toasted and whatever that's coming down this whole finish line. And we can put out different products in this particular kind of collection. The first thing that we wanted to do is that, well, how do we differentiate? How do we make it different? And I think one of the things that we wanted to make sure that this first off is that always make sure you read the batch numbers and the distillation states on the on the backside because yeah, there will probably be different mash bills, different blends that go into every single one of them. I would consider it more analogous to barrel bourbon than to what we do with our regular Pursuit United because each one of these could be a a different sort of blending process that Ryan has gone through with barrels that we have in inventory with different mash bills and, and different percentages that we're going to make that are going to make up that particular blend. But part of even that initial process was Ryan trying to come up with even the base blend. Like what's the base blend going to taste like? And that's even before we started with the the finishing process. And I know he came to me with probably five or six different samples and we tried to find something that wasn't so off the Richter scale, as we had said with that 30, 36% rye, that had something that you could be more approachable, more palatable that you kind of get with some of our other United pieces where it has a little more sweeter aspect to it. But it was kind of hard to find. We was really, you couldn't get away from that spice that was there. And so we found, or at least I think Ryan found a, a good blend that, that find a de- I found a decent balance of it, but couldn't get rid of that spice because it was just so overpowering. And I think that's what people like about the 36% MGP rye. However, this is where the ability to come in and start figuring out, well, what kind of finishes do you want to do with it? And I'll let you kind of take it from there because I know you had tried a whole heap of different ones. And not only that is when you start doing with different kinds of finishes, different sets of cubes and then length of cubes and all that sort of stuff too. Yeah, sure. And so, you know, as Kenny talked about earlier with experimentation, research and development, the nice thing, so Interstave has a wonderful product line of different wood finishing oak alternative uh, products And so what's nice about their product line is you're not actually using an entire barrel. You can use cubes or different representations of the type of wood you want to finish with. And so you can, you can really just start to experiment with like 200 ml samples. And then, so that's what I did at probably 10 or 12 different types of oak with different toast levels from anywhere from medium plus oak to medium plus plus oak to char four, three, this, you know, all these different combination. So it really took me about, I don't know, two, two months or so just to like figure out, okay, what are the oak characteristics that I like at what char level and what toast level? And do I like French oak or do I like American oak or do I like a rum finish or do I like a sherry finish or a cognac finish or this and that? And so that, you know, and, and working with the, the blend that we had created. And so it was just kind of a lot of trial and error. And like, do I like, well, what if you, you, you like the French oak at medium toast and the American oak at medium toast, but there's something missing. What happens if you can put them together? Or what if you do like 20% of French oak and this much American oak or vice versa? And it's like that it's really just a sandbox of different combinations, you know, and it's um, that that's the nice thing about this interstave product is that you can really, it really reduces the barrier to entry. You can really just start to, experiment with a lot of different combinations versus just throwing it in a barrel and wait and see how's it going to go, you know? And then once it finished, you're like, well, that sucked, you know, uh, <laughs> I guess we'll blend it in, blend it out in something else. Um, so that's, that, that's been a huge, and I think it's revolutionary really in this space. And I think a lot of companies are going to be 
you know, using these type of products moving forward because it does help you um, learn about how different woods impact the, the whiskey and such. But yeah, what what we came back to was we really like American oak. We really like the French oak, but they're both missing something. And so it's, we're trying to tweak a combination of where we could highlight the best, where it, the wood is there, but it's not the star. Like the problem I have with a lot of toasted or finished products is the wood is the star and it really overpowers the distillate in there. And it, you're really just tasting like that's all you're tasting. And so that's what I really didn't want to do when creating this product. And so I think we've kind of come to a conclusion. We find a nice balance of doing a 50% American Oak and a 50% French Oak medium toast, both of them together. And it really just really elevates the spirit kind of tames down that spice note, rounds it out, but it's just a beautiful balance of both wood and distillate. And you had said that it it's a lower barrier to entry, but it also adds a lot more complexity. It because, does, yes. Because we were just thinking, oh, we'll just use one type of wood. We can just do American toasted plus plus or whatever it is that, that you were messing around with. And then when you said, oh, light bulb moment, I can just put two of them together. And all of a sudden, I have two different types of woods that I'm technically finishing this product with. And I also want to make sure that people are aware that we're just not you know, dumping bags of sugar and stuff inside of a barrel and, and no longer is it you know authentic to what it is. This is the same exact thing that Maker's Mark does when you do Maker's 46. They just do it with full staves. This is a technology that you're, you probably don't know or see too much about, but it is technically pretty common inside of, of most of the whiskey world and especially in the wine world a lot for uh, hyper-aging wines and all that sort of stuff. But this is something you're going to see that's going to be pretty common. But yes, as, as Ryan said, he was able to start playing around with a bunch of different types of wood and it took a few months to kind of land on those those two particular varietals and how they worked with that particular blend that he had done. Because I know you had also messed with some kind of wine finish in there as well maybe it was a cab or something like that yeah i had sherry had cabs had port all different kinds and you know and they and they were all were good but they still like just they were the star and the crazy thing about these you know just like when i was learning about blending the original united you know like how a little of this can throw it off balance or a lot of this doesn't do what you think like these finishes they have like peaks and valleys one day the french oak is amazing. Two days later, it tastes like bitter and like shit. And you're like, well, damn, I should have pulled it. But then you like let it sit for like three more days and you're like, well, it's even better now. And you're <laughs> like, so you're trying to figure out like, Fool me how once. long do you leave it in? How long do you take it? Like, do you pull it too early? Do you let it keep going? It's, it's a, it's really a fun experiment, but also kind of like, well, shit, you know, this is kind of stressful because there's a lot of money on the line here, you know? And uh, so that's that's been a fun challenge to learn, you know, the peaks and valleys of the different woods and whatnot. Yeah, and I, I really like how we went down this path because it's not the traditional aging path and not like we did with even going United. That's not a traditional type of whiskey and product that is out there in the market, but we tried to do something different. And I'm excited to have people be able to try it and hopefully they're excited to be able to get it in their shelves and try it. And hopefully they spread the good word of it too, because I think this is something that we can look at as 
not another line extension of something this is going to be repeatable, but instead this is something that is going to be, I think, as I said earlier, more analogous to that barrel bourbon concept where we're going to have different types of blends, different types of finishes, and it can be this continual rollout and it's not going to be this 50,000 bottle release, but instead it's going to be these two to 10,000 bottle releases and then that's it. And we'll kind of move on to the next one. And I think that's going to keep it real fun. It's going to keep it fresh and keep it interesting. Something that we can always kind of have in a in a release cycle that we can look back on and, and reiterate on all the time. Ryan, and you, you kind of answered one of the questions I wanted to get to. Well, both of you guys did, which we're talking kind of the pros and the cons of using this versus traditional finishing routes. So I won't get into that again, but kind of a tangent off of that too is, you know, what's the scalability look like so you were talking about using these in 200 ml samples is there a level of you know surety that you're going to have as you scale this larger or are you kind of (laughs) going to figure out kind of the blend you want and it's still gonna because of size morph a little bit from from what you've experienced do you do we know that yet Yeah, we don't. This is what's exciting, but also terrifying about this whole project is like, (laughs) it's going to be one of those you you literally are, like Kenny talked about earlier was we're going to have to babysit this and be with the whiskey as it's finishing and the, you know, in these different woods put together and see just where we think it's where it peaks and and try to pull it at the right time. And I, I, I'm not sure how it's going to be. And that's the fun part, but it is also very terrifying. Now you get this, I'm going to zoom out just a little bit. You all get this from both sides. You have the bourbon pursuit side, and then you have the pursuit spirit side when thinking about finishing. So I'm kind of curious, what do you all think that customers are looking for when it comes to a finished product why why would they want to lean towards one or grab one off the shelf and then the second question i'll go ahead and say it so you can think about it what do you think brands think customers are looking for when it comes to these because again we're seeing a lot of folks doing toasted products we're seeing a lot of folks doing all sorts of finishing products and so yeah what do you think a customer is looking for and what do you think brands believe that customers are looking for we talked about spice at the beginning of this right isn't variety the spice of everything here and i, I feel that's what customers are, are ultimately wanting we are not our our parents generation where you are so brand loyal to one thing your entire life and you don't steer away from it and i think that's really that's what's changed over the course of humanity is that people in our generation we like to try lots of different things and that's why Anybody that's listening to this, anybody that listens to Bourbon's Pursuit, that's why your whiskey collection isn't four bottles or two bottles. It's 150. It's 200 bottles. That's because that's what we like. We like to try a lot of different things. And a part of that is as a brand owner or as somebody that manufactures the goods, you've got to make sure that you are continually innovating and that you are staying top of mind of the customer. And what are they excited about? What do they want to see? Because as somebody that owns a couple hundred bottles, they don't have a need to go out and buy something new. But if you can capture their attention with something that is new and shiny, as we all do, and we chase that shiny red ball, then that's what's going to happen. People are going to follow. And that's I think that's just a, a good playbook to kind of run by. 
as you continually grow, you have to innovate, you have to do something that is staying on top of the consumer mind, but you also have to carry about or, you know, worry about that, which you would call the the product that pulls the train, right? I mean, what's the, what's the engine that's going to bring everything else along with it? You know, for a lot of companies, you look at like Brown Foreman, like that's just regular Jack Daniels. Like that is, that is the horse that pulls the cart for everything else. And you get to experiment, you get to play with all these one other things that really latch onto a, a geek or a, an enthusiast type of community, but you're able to satisfy the main market consumer at the same exact time. And that's just the, I think that's the uh, nature of how a, a good business is going to run. And the only way that things will ever change or the way that you'll see things shift in a different direction is going to be a consumer driven behavior. If a consumer all of a sudden says that we don't want wine finishes or we don't want whatever, then they're not going to do it. Well, everybody started jumping on the toast bandwagon. So what happened? Everybody started making toasted products. Even the most heritage distilleries that you would think they would never do that. And now they're doing it. And that's just, I don't want to say it's chasing the money, but yeah, that's what you do. You chase the money. You chase where the consumer is going. You don't want to steer in a different direction and try to carve your own path because that would just basically dig your own grave. So you you want to make sure you follow the trends and, and you stay on top of it as well. I think for a common consumer, what they're looking for out of a toasted or a wood finished anything, they're looking for something that's going to make it more palatable, a little easier, a little sweeter mostly is what you get out of a lot of finishes. Is At least that's what I get on a lot of stuff that's on the market. But as a whiskey geek, like we talked about earlier, I really want as a consumer to find a nice balance of wood and distillate. I want to taste the distillate, but I want it, the, the wood to be there slightly. And that's what I'm looking for. And I think that's what a whiskey geek would look for as a consumer. And brands are just, they're giving consumers what they want. And obviously the market said, we want toasted, more toasted, 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 <laughs> plus toast. <laughs> How much we, more toast can you put in there? Yeah. And so, I mean, if you, if you don't give them what they want, then you're, you know, you're, you're just falling behind the eight ball doing this. I've, exp- you know, I've done a lot of research and tasted pretty much every toasted product on the market. And a lot of them, you can just tell they just got lazy or they just didn't know what they're doing and they just let the wood take over. And I, that's what I really want to avoid because I, I can taste in a lot of other products is that the wood is just too strong and it really just ruined the the, the fantastic whiskey that was in there. You know, that's me as a, a, a whiskey geek, whereas most consumers probably want the wood to take over. So I don't know. It's hard. It's, and I was conflicted about this whole project because as a whiskey geek, we kind of, you know, you snuff at finished stuff and, you know, you're like, what are they hiding or whatnot? But I think it's an artistic ability that you can like balance the wood and the distillate. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to highlight both of those and, and find the best representation of that for our consumers. Kenny, I'm most curious right now about how you're doing with all this because you know from the earlier episodes it seemed like we've talked before about very straight narrow lanes not a lot of deviation and i know you just recently kind of talked about like you know following what the people want when it comes to trends but this this seems like a bit of predictability that you lose control of and so i'm kind of i'm kind of curious where where you are in in this whole uh line or direction of things when it comes to the oak finishing I when I look at anything that becomes successful, it's not because you stick to a straight path and you you kind of 
you know, you, you nobody guesses it right from the very beginning. As Ryan always says, nothing's an overnight success. And I look at that as saying you have to continually pivot and you have to make judgment calls when the time is right. And I'm not going to say this was a judgment call. This was something that Ryan was in a very fortunate opportunity. We had made some connections. We said, what do we have to work with? And can we get this out? Layer on all the other crap that we had to worry about with glass and corks and labels and all the other stuff that we, <laughs> heaven forbid, I think we're coming down the other end of it. But when you start thinking of well, what does the future look like, you know, I, yes, I had this sort of idea that when we put in our new whiskey into the barrel, this is what I'm predicting what it's going to taste like. This is how we can scale. This is what it's going to end up tasting like in, you know, the four to five year range. This is where we want it to be when it gets to six year. Let's hold some back when we have some eight years, some 10 year, so on and so forth. But as a part of that, not only can we just make sure that we have enough product that we want to satisfy as our base that we want to be able to put out there. If for some opportunity or some chance, we do some sort of pilot, like take this oak finishing for an example, and it goes bonkers. And we look at that and we say, holy crap, people are really latching onto this. Well, good thing we've already put down all this new make. Well, we can go ahead and we can start allocating and shifting some resources from one project to the next. And I think that's just the the nature that we're going to be in is that we're going to have this inventory that we can play around with. We can have some fun with it. If all goes right and we don't need to, and we can stick on that straight and arrow, then yeah, we can all just, it'll be all United Bourbon one day, but we can allocate barrels to be part of different product lines. Heck, we could create new labels and, and everything like that. We've been spinning up the idea of, of doing more labels and all this other kind of stuff already. So that's just one of those things that there's, there's an opportunity when you start putting down this inventory to be able to make sure that you can, you can do these one-off experiments that you can still stay in front of the consumer because as much as we'll love to be able to talk about United for the next 10 years, I'm sure we'll get sick of it sounding like a, a record on repeat all the time. And so we'll want something new to talk about and something fresh. Yeah. It did take me some convincing at first. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Kenny, I'm going to blow your mind. We're going to have a new product. And he's like, I don't know about this. <laughs> True. <laughs> but no, it's it, from the get go. If it's, if it's good and tastes good and we think our customers will like it, I, I, I think, you know, we should give it to them, you know? And I think that's, that's what we're about is trying to like put the best product out on the market. And I think that's what we're going to try to achieve with this uh, project. If not, we'll try again. That's the one thing I'm looking forward to is that when we're doing this, like it's going to be around a 2000, maybe 2200 bottle release. We'll see what happens when we get done dumping, but I'm excited to be able to put it out there because we're recording way in advance of our, our bottling date, even though we have the final blend and everything that's going to be into it. And plus the label, but this is something that is going to be like really the first run that we ever did at United. And hopefully with the small bottle count, it'll sell quickly and we can do something else in the future and scale it up a little bit more. So you'll be able to see this as something that we can continually innovate on. Yeah. The only thing we got to figure out is how many days do you leave it in? <laughs> yeah. That's because I, I've had it, like I talked about earlier, I've, I've had it at three different points and the, they're, or you, it's just amazing how fast it turns both ways. So I'm, I'm interested and anxious to see how this goes. So we'll, we'll report back on a we later episode. Yeah, we're gonna bring the solo stove and a and a tent over to the BBC warehouse yeah. over there, so you can just kind of hang out and 
taste it on the hourly basis. We'll be like Fred and do a live stream of camping, sleep, <laughs> sleeping by say. fermenters. Today is day 17 of the wood finishing. Now, with the accessibility that I would say these cubes uh, give you from the traditional kind of finishing route that, that you mentioned, is this something you might see part of your the pick process that you've talked about before where people can kind of come in and, and taste the various parts that kind of go into united and you know maybe pick a barrel of, of one of those elements is this something that's going to be maybe an extension of that because how easy is it or this is just for these little one-off releases fully fully controlled by you all never say never i don't see an opportunity or there's always an opportunity to do that i haven't really put the pen to the paper to figure out how feasible it is but who knows if the right thing ever came along i'm sure we could work it out we'll, we'll see how this goes this this small 2000 bottle and see what the market says and uh then we can try to scale it on our own and then if we have enough we'll do single barrels you know and say well you don't like it by itself you, <laughs> you can like it. finish it you can finish it <laughs> take ryan's uh thing at very first it's like that's what we do we hide bad whiskey we, we finish it right <laughs> exactly ryan i'm kind of curious you know this is as, as the, the, the person who's spent maybe the most time in R&D on these things, is there anything you've learned about the different types of woods and their tendencies, what they add, what maybe you thought they add that they don't, what maybe you thought you'd get that was different or, or more so with another wood? Are there any things that kind of came out in that process for you that, that was just, I don't know, kind of eye-opening for you? Yeah, totally. So, like, French oak really gives it the whiskey a nice creaminess vanilla when it peaks <laughs> you know this almost cocoa vanilla like creaminess to it it's amazing one day it can taste like that but then it also can go on the far end and just make it so bitter and green tasting like you're eating a coffee bean like a like unroasted coffee bean or something and french oak to me is the most volatile wood of all the ones i've worked with it really peaks and valleys like i talked about earlier American oak's pretty, it's very safe. <laughs> it's gives you those nice like caramel, vanilla, sugary components. It's not too, but it it's very light though on how it influences. It doesn't like overpower like the French oak can. Like the French oak can just dominate and throw things off. And then like the wine barrels, any like spirit barrel, except for the, the rum barrels really, rum barrels are very hard to get anything out of. I don't know. They just seem to like, it fights with the whiskey almost like the, the rum flavors kind of combat. And then the, the wine flavors are kind of like the sherries, the con the Cabernets, they, they, they make it like too grape forward. But, but when you get a nice like Cabernet finished where it's peaking at the right time, it just gives us this nice creaminess and delicateness. I haven't played with like Mizanora or any, you know, exotic woods yet, but uh, that with the, those, those few, but the toasting really can also throw barrel the wood one way or the other as well. Anything over a medium toast really just takes it into almost like maple syrup land where it's so sugary, so sweet, like where it tastes like imitation, like you're putting fake flavors into the whiskey. But if you're going like in a light toast or even just a, you know, a double charred barrel, it's, it's very minimal, you know, impact and whatnot so a medium toast to me was the pulled out the best flavors of, of the different types of woods i always get to lean on ryan he said <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna bring you the good ones and that's all yeah I 
I brought you the four good ones and discarded the 50 bad ones. (laughs) (laughs) I, I appreciate you for doing that service. All right, interesting insight when it comes to the oak finishing. And from what you said right there at the very end, you know, maybe we'll see one of these exotic woods come out down the line. Who knows? You know, like you said, it's whatever these the trendy folks are looking for. I'm seeing a lot of that Mizunara. So we'll see what happens down the line. Either way, guys, thanks so much for diving into this. I mean, I know sometimes it's tricky, a product that we're talking about prior to it releasing. Some things could change there. But again, I think that's part of the allure of this particular podcast that some of that stuff is, you know, able to change, able to mold, and we can kind of tackle it as that comes. But as it stands right now, that's a little bit of a preview of what's coming up in the Pursuit line here in the future. I think it'll be cool to continue to follow that. And again, as you all get your hands on, if you're listening to this, maybe at a later date, would love to hear what you all are thinking about this new product, feel free to reach out to us on the social networks. We're at Pursuit Spirits and continue to subscribe to the channel. If you have not already, give us some reviews. Let us know what you think about the content and feel free to email us podcast at pursuitspirits.com. If you have other topics you want to hear us talk about on future episodes, or if you have questions that you want to bring up to the guys potentially read here on future episodes. Until next time, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you all later.